Welcome to The Dr. Medic, everyone, where I will do my best to bridge the gap between research and practice and the world of helicopter EMS and all of paramedicine. Catch the full effect of these podcasts with all the visuals over on YouTube, but for now, let's get started. This EC-135 is having some serious issues and it is going down fast. Just moments later, it crashes into the side of this church. And I'm telling you, there are several instances of absolute heroism and absolute bravery in this story. This is a crazy one. I've got to say that this story actually makes me smile. Normally, we're talking about stuff where somebody might have got severely injured permanently or lost their life or somebody made some terrible mistake. It's just not the case with this one. We got a bunch of good, good stories and good people in this story. All of that coming up on this episode of The Dr. Medic. The date for this story is January 11th, just earlier this year of 2022, and a medical crew consisting of a flight paramedic, a flight nurse, and a single pilot are flying across the grand state of Pennsylvania. This flight originated at the Wellspan Chambersburg Hospital in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, where the flight crew picked up just a two-month-old child who needed transport to a facility in Philadelphia for ongoing critical treatment and care. You see, these EMS helicopters, especially in the United States, are utilized heavily for interfacility transfers of critically ill and injured patients. And many times, local ground EMS will have to transport a patient to a local or a smaller hospital or a rural hospital, or family just bring them in, or they just walk in themselves to a facility. And if that particular emergency room staff and physicians feel that the patient needs a higher level of care, such as with major trauma, severe strokes, heart attacks, or maybe just a patient that needs serious intensive care, they will need to transport that patient by EMS in order to get them there. Oftentimes, the capabilities of the EMS transport crew need to exceed that of a regular advanced life support ambulance crew, such as the case with patients who need advanced airway management, blood products, advanced ventilators, neonates, and pediatrics, or maybe they just really need to get them to that other facility as fast as humanly possible. So, as is often the case, the sending physician will choose to call for a local helicopter to complete the transport. And this particular helicopter was actually based out of Hagerstown, just across the border over in Maryland. Now, this particular crew and base specialized in pediatric and critical care interfacility transfers and were very used to making the very long flights to cities such as Pittsburgh to the west and Philadelphia way to the east. Now, the pilot for this flight is a male in his late 40s. He held an airline transport pilot certificate with ratings for airplane, multi-engine land, and rotorcraft helicopter, as well as private pilot privileges for airplane single engine. He had a total of 4,123 flight hours with 3,400 of those in helicopters and 185 on this type of aircraft. The helicopter in this incident is this awesome, beautiful EC-135 P2 Plus with two Pratt & Whitney 206 B2 turboshaft engines making nearly 700 horsepower each. 
Now, this crew departed Chambersburg Hospital at 12.05 hours on a Part 135 flight with a two-month-old patient and were en route to Children's Hospital in Philadelphia, which probably would have taken them just a little over an hour to get there. Now, about 45 minutes into their flight, somewhere right around 12.50 and just 10 minutes from their destination, the paramedic reports that he heard a loud bang in the aircraft. Now, when he heard this, both he and the flight nurse were not buckled in. Now, listen, I read some terrible comments over on another forum about this very incident where some folks were really laying into the flight crew for not being buckled in. Well, while in cruise flight, the flight paramedic and nurse will oftentimes need to come out of their seatbelt in order to take care of their patient and attend patient care. And being that they were getting closer to their destination, they very well could have been in the middle of packaging up the patient, which would consist of organizing the patient, any wires, vent tubing, oxygen lines, and IV lines, and all of this is perfectly normal. The crew normally lets the pilot know they are unbuckled by simply telling the pilot something like, hey, I'm coming unbuckled, not only so the pilot is aware of the now unrestrained crew, but also so the pilot can be aware of the movements that this will cause in the helicopter. These movements are not major, but think of it as moving around in a small boat or something and you can feel the boat rocking. Well, when a paramedic or a nurse comes unbuckled and moves around the aircraft to take care of the patient or to move equipment around, the pilot can feel this and should be informed that they will be coming unbuckled just so that the pilot can be prepared. Anyway, the point is that being unbuckled during this cruise part of the flight is perfectly normal, there's nothing wrong with it, and just like it is for you when you fly on a commercial airline. You can get up and walk around as long as you are not on critical phases of the flight, like landing or taking off. So anyway, according to the paramedic, he feels this bang while unbuckled, and then unbelievably, the helicopter banks very sharply to the right and into a roll. And then the helicopter actually rolls completely inverted, pinning himself and the nurse to the ceiling of the helicopter. The pilot somehow was able to level off this aircraft at this time and the med crew got their bearings straight, secured themselves and the patient, and then braced for landing. It is at about this point that a doorbell ring camera catches the helicopter as it is going down. Let's watch, and more importantly, let's listen. see the helicopter struggling as it is losing altitude while in a slight bank to the right, and it also appears to be kind of going up and down just a bit. Just after it passes over this house is when the pilot says that everything he was doing to try and fly this aircraft simply was not working, so he had no choice but to try and land it in an open area, but he was not able to get it down in time where he wanted to, so then he literally decided to gently crash the aircraft. 
Now, this part was also caught on camera, although it's not very clear, but you can see the helicopter come down against the side of this church and then the tail boom separates. Now, the helicopter impacted the ground pretty strongly on the front right side, which is right where the pilot was sitting, and then rolled over to rest on the left side. At this point is when some crazy heroics come into play, and I mean absolutely crazy. Stuff that only you might see in a movie. Now, I'm going to be going by the preliminary reports as well as the local reporting outside of Philadelphia. And there was some discrepancy on which medical provider was which and who got who and who transported who. So I'm just going to try and give you the best information based on all of the current reporting. Now, the flight nurse got this two-month-old baby out of the aircraft, and that is when this picture was taken. You can see that there is a large amount of jet fuel that is pouring out from the fuel tanks. Now, as I have mentioned in some other videos, oftentimes the difference between a fatal accident and one where everybody survives is just a spark. And in this case, there wasn't a spark. Why not? Well, partly because while that flight nurse was also retrieving the severely injured pilot from the aircraft, the flight paramedic was running through some post-crash procedures, which included shutting down all of the electrical parts of the aircraft, in other words, preventing a spark from happening and causing a post-impact fire. Now, a part of any landing zone class by medical helicopter providers will include some crash procedures for both the medical crew as well as any other responders that may be on the ground, such as firefighters or law enforcement. Now, these crash procedures may include things like showing firefighters where to direct their host streams if there is an engine fire and the engine is still running, or turning off electrical power to the aircraft, turning off the fuel flow to the aircraft and applying the main rotor brake to stop the main rotors from turning. And if all else fails, to just look around the cockpit and find a way to manipulate every switch and lever you can find that is red. Typically, the way these cockpits are designed is if it is red and you turn it the other way, it's going to be some type of safety procedure, whether it's turning off electricity, turning a throttle down, turning fuel down, slowing the main rotor brake down, some type of fire suppression system, something. If it's red, manipulate it in the aircraft. Now, the quick thinking of this flight paramedic may very well have saved the lives of all four people on board by preventing a post-impact fire. Now, I'm a bit unsure of who then called 911, as there was one news source that identified this person as the nurse, and another one identified them as the paramedic. But whoever they are made this 911 call here. Ma'am, everybody is conscious. I have one. I have one that is not alert. He's a pilot. Okay. He's a male in his late 40s. Okay. Is he breathing? He's otherwise. I what? Is he breathing still? He is breathing. He is talking. My main concern right now is the two-month-old child. I need an ambulance here right away. Now, you can hear the effort of this person to be calm and request the appropriate resources with an emphasis on worrying about the two-month-old baby first. Absolutely amazing. You just crashed his helicopter. You pulled survivors out. There's jet fuel everywhere. You pulled out a two-month-old baby. And listen to how calm this crew member sounds. My main concern right now is the two-month-old child. I need an ambulance here right away. Prioritizing the infant. The calm under pressure is absolutely emotional to listen to. 
Now, once the ground ambulance arrived, the flight nurse then accompanied the two-month-old patient in an ambulance to a hospital while the flight paramedic accompanied the pilot in another ambulance as well. Now, while the two-month-old child was not injured, I am unsure of how he or she may have turned out from whatever their original injury or, or sickness might have been. But both the flight medic and the nurse escaped this accident with no major injuries. Unfortunately, the pilot did suffer some severe injuries, which included fractured ribs, a fractured sternum, and a fractured vertebrae. He did survive, though, and then offered this statement. Moore said, the only option I had was to crash as slowly as possible. My last moment of recollection before impact was realizing I'd overshot the field and seeing the church coming at us at a high rate of speed and thinking whatever I was trying didn't work out and we're all about to die. Of course, everyone on board did survive that crash thanks to Moore's quick thinking. What an amazing human being and an amazing pilot. And also, as he left the hospital, just look at this amazing show of support by family and colleagues. I love it. I absolutely cannot emphasize just what an amazing job the entire crew did. The pilot put this aircraft on the ground where everyone survived, no one on the ground was injured, the flight nurse gets the baby and the pilot to safety, and the flight medic properly does all these post-crash procedures, which helps to avoid a post-crash fire taking place. And as this accident occurred during the pandemic, they were all doing this in Tyvek suits and still wearing their N95 masks. Unbelievable. So in the end, what caused this accident to happen? Well, normally I could give you a pretty solid answer on this because somebody else did the investigation, but since this accident just occurred earlier this year, there has not been a final report yet that's been published and we only have some preliminary reports. But the preliminary report plus all the video can definitely give us some insight and help us rule out a few things. Now, we can see from the pictures that there was plenty of fuel, so we know that they didn't run out of fuel. It has happened before. Now, remember that the paramedic said that he heard a loud bang before the aircraft started to descend. Now, that could have meant that something mechanical broke or something hit the aircraft, or maybe even both. But a loss of tail rotor effectiveness could certainly have an issue which can render a helicopter uncontrollable. But normally when a tail rotor loses its effectiveness, either by mechanically braking or simply by getting into a situation where the tail rotor cannot overcome the torque of the aircraft that it is designed to counter, in these cases, the aircraft would normally spin around uncontrollably until the aircraft eventually hits the ground. Also, you can see this metal hub cover right here on the Fenestron tail. Now, just recently, I talked very in-depth about this very cover on this very same model of aircraft in a previous video, but in short, this metal hub cover is very well known to fall off and be ingested into the Fenestron tail if there is any damage whatsoever to the tail blades, like bending or fracturing, or if it took something into the blades. But since this cover is still in place, along with the fact that the helicopter was shown on video flying in a manner where it was not spinning around, makes me think that the tail rotor may not have played a big role here. The preliminary investigation shows that the engine and transmission were securely mounted and the main rotor hub was securely attached to the mast and that all four main rotor blades were properly secured to the main rotor hub. The continuity and freewheeling motion was intact between the main rotor, transmission, and both of the high-speed shafts. The cyclic, collective, and anti-torque pedals were all shown to be functional and working just fine. 
Now, a big one, data was downloaded from each engine and revealed nominal engine performance consistent with the mission profile across the duration of the flight meaning that there was no evidence to show that there were any engine malfunctions at all and that both engines were operating properly up until the moment of impact. You know, what I didn't see were any mentions of the functionality of the swash plate. Now, the swash plate, in very simplified terms, is the rotating mechanical device that is controlled by both the collective and cyclic inputs from the pilot and controls the pitch of the main rotor blades. The cyclic can manipulate and tilt this swash plate on just one side, which controls the pitch of the blades during just part of their rotation around the aircraft, and this controls the pitch and roll of the aircraft, while the collective, it collectively manipulates the swash plate to equally control the pitch of all the main rotor blades at the same time, and controls the vertical axis of the helicopter up and down. Now, the medic said that there was a loud bang and then the aircraft actually rolled all the way over to the right. The only thing I can think of that could cause the aircraft to roll like that, especially all the way around its axis, would be some type of movement of this swash plate raising itself up on the left side of the aircraft, causing it to roll over to the right. Also, once the pilot was able to counteract whatever was happening, he still was unable to fly it perfectly straight as you can see the aircraft banking to the right in the video. I gotta imagine that if this aircraft is banking like this to the right, that the pilot is trying everything he can do to counter this by turning the aircraft to the left and trying to bank it to the left, and it is still rolling over to the right. But not only is it rolling to the right, it also looks like it's losing altitude. And the pilot said that the aircraft was not doing what he wanted, and I would imagine he was trying to gain altitude by pulling up on the collective, and the aircraft still is continuing to descend. Now, these main rotor assemblies used to be pretty simple mechanical devices, but over the years, once they started adding more and more blades, these rotor hubs started to become more and more complicated. There are a lot of connections and dampers and rods and straps and other linkages that help to smooth out and balance the entire movement of the main rotor hub. And while it is extremely uncommon, these parts could technically break. And if they did, it certainly may cause a problem with cyclic or collective control of the aircraft. Now, there have been instances in the past where parts in this area, such as in 1999 when a Texas Life Flight BK-117 actually had one of its tension torsion straps fail, causing the entire main rotor hub assembly to completely fail and disintegrate, killing everyone on board. Or even Donald Trump's famous Augusta 109 that crashed and killed the entire crew back in 1989, excluding Donald Trump, of course, when the entire main rotor hub detached, causing the blades and hub assembly to completely fly off the aircraft. Either way, all I can do is speculate. I know a lot of you are pilots, and I'm curious what your thoughts are on this one. If not something wrong with the swash plate or one of its connections to the main rotor hub or a link or something like that, what else could possibly have been? Let me know your thoughts in the comments below because I'm very eager to hear what you think. The aircraft was transported away from the scene to a hangar location where a full forensic investigation is going to be completed. Now, I would expect the final report on this sometime over the next 12 to 18 months, but I don't care what that report says anyway because this paramedic and this nurse and this pilot are all a bunch of badasses. You know, I've also got to give credit to air methods and whoever the educators and lead pilots are at this particular base, as it was clear that this entire crew were well prepared to deal 
deal with this nightmare, and they did so in a manner that allowed everyone to survive the accident, including this teeny tiny two-month-old infant. If you know any of these folks and you see them out there, please buy them a beer or six on my behalf. But before you do, please smash the like button and subscribe so I can keep on making these videos. Everyone better stay safe out there, take care of each other, and please have yourself a beautiful rest of your day. Or maybe they just really need to get them to that other facility as fast as humanly possible. God damn. So, as is often the case, the sending physician will choose to call for a local helicopter to complete the transport.